Hey, Real Talkers, Alberta will now prohibit hormonal treatment, puberty blockers, gender-affirming surgery for children under 16, and in some circumstances, 18, as part of a series of policies announced by Premier Danielle Smith. Also included, sex ed curriculums. Got to now be approved by the education minister. Parents now opt their kids in to sex ed. And the policies also prohibit the participation of trans women in women's sports, though, to be honest, the enforceability of those measures is debatable. We cover early impressions and public response to the Premier's policy announcement in this episode ahead of our February 2nd Real Talk Roundtable. We're also going to talk about a story not seeing a lot of attention, but isn't Alberta supposed to be Canada's most business-friendly province? The free market rules all. So what's with the new crackdown on BC winemakers? We'll take a look. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Like we told you they were going to do a few episodes ago here on Real Talk, Alberta's government has rolled out a new policy impacting trans youth in the province, impacting all youth in the province that would study sex ed as one does in elementary, junior, and high school, and impacting trans women and, quite frankly, all women's participation in sport. Welcome to this episode of Real Talk. We're going to be getting into this as we have done for the past few shows. We're going to be giving you the floor. We'll be taking a look at what Alberta's Premier had to say in a video that's been seen a couple of million times on social media already. And, of course, we'll be setting the table for our February 2nd Real Talk Roundtable. That is tomorrow's roundtable. If you're listening to this episode, the day we're doing it, every Friday, you know, we convene around our Real Talk Roundtable with panels of experts, people with lived experience as they dig into the issues of the day. That's exactly where we'll start today. We've got a couple of other stories to cover as well. And of course, just a reminder, you can always participate in the conversations that you're hearing here on Real Talk by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com or hopping into our live chat as these episodes stream live on YouTube, and live on the Mixler audio app presented by our friends at California Closets. We're going to lead off with a different story because we have limited time with our two guests and then we'll really sink our teeth into Danielle Smith's video. But first, we want to let you know that this episode is happening thanks to the presenting sponsorship of our friends at Business Career College. You know, there's a lot of people that would love to, yeah, obviously love to jump into a rewarding and high-paying career without a university degree. And sometimes it feels like those opportunities are limited. Well, you can get started today as an insurance professional by visiting Business Career College. And here's the thing. In Canada, insurance agents are oftentimes seeing their annual income top $85,000, $90,000 a year after just a short period of time. All you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. It's simple. BCC offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance, plus their expert instructors are passionate about making sure that you succeed as you launch your new career. Right now, there's an excellent impression, an excellent savings on right now, and what a way to get the ball rolling for real talkers. You can save 15% on any business career college insurance course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you get started today at businesscareercollege.com. 
We'll be getting to the Alberta government's plan uh, for sex ed, uh, for gender uh, therapies, transition therapies, uh, including uh, puberty blockers, including top and bottom surgeries. We're going to be getting to the Alberta government's position on trans women competing in sport in this episode. If you're listening to the podcast, watching later on YouTube, you can skip ahead 15 minutes if you want to go right to it. But there's another story happening as well that's getting a lot of people's attention, most especially because it's another dust up in the wine industry between Alberta and B.C. Alberta, the open for business province, is blocking imports of B.C. wines, accusing suppliers of bypassing regular trade channels. I'm grateful that our two guests have agreed to join us and they've got limited time, which is why we're talking to them right this minute. Mike Dowell is the owner and operator of Liber Estates Winery, and he's a board member on Wine Growth. BC. Miles Proden is the president and CEO of Wine Growers BC. I want to thank both of you for making time for us. Miles, the last time we were talking about Alberta and BC and a dust up over wine, it was Rachel Notley, then premier, blocking imports to make a point about pipeline access. It's been a while, though. It's been relatively a peaceful landscape. So, so what changed over the past few days? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. We're not sure what, what's happened. You're right. Uh, 2018, uh, the uh, Alberta government uh, threatened to uh, utilize the AGLC to block shipments uh, of BC wine to the province. Uh, cooler heads prevailed, and so uh, it was open. That didn't happen, and we were continuing to do business uh, directly. And in this last week, um, BC wineries got notification that the AGLC once again was going to uh, to block shipments uh, to their uh, monopoly warehouse and. Uh, They've gone through with that threat. Uh, there's trucks that have been turned back uh, as early as late last week and again or into this week. We're not sure what the motivation is. Uh, last time we were used uh, as a bit of a pawn in a much bigger uh, a much bigger game, and uh, we just really don't understand uh, why, again, we're being uh, singled out. Okay, so, Mike, not every winemaker is being impacted by this. People that, that are used to seeing those big, huge BC wineries represented at their local liquor stores will still be able to get that wine, but it really impacts businesses like yours. You operate a little bit differently when it comes to access to Alberta. Can you Can you explain? Well, it might be actually the opposite. It doesn't really impact us because uh, in some regards, because we don't usually go the retail channel in Alberta. We, we do use more of the direct-to-consumer model. Um, so, you know, we haven't got an order yet to ship uh, via, you know, traditional shipping lines. So we don't know what we're going to do if we do get that uh, first order to ship to Alberta because... Technically, I guess we could be vulnerable to some sort of uh, backlash as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a gray area for everybody right now. Um, but definitely, you know, people that have uh, active listings in the retail locations of Alberta are going to feel this the most. And uh, they have some decisions to make whether if that's a, a, a viable sales channel for them moving forward, if this is going to continue or if they have to maybe change some of their sales strategies. Okay, so yeah, so I must be misunderstanding the story. So, Miles, maybe you can spell that out for us. My understanding is that everybody knows the Alberta Gaming Liquor and Cannabis Commission, uh, the AGLC, and typically people understand that all the liquor, or at least most of it, uh, and all the cannabis that's sold in Alberta goes through those AGLC warehouses, and that's where the tax is collected, and that's how that all works. And then, uh, you know, liquor stores and restaurants and everybody else can order from AGLC and then it's shipped to their locations. My understanding 
saying is that the Alberta government, by way of AGLC, is saying we've seen we've they've, they call it tangible evidence. I mean, they're sounding like cops here. They say there's tangible evidence that up to 200 different BC wineries are bypassing the AGLC and shipping directly to customers. And that's what they're trying to stop. Can you explain to us who's being targeted here and, and, and where, what you think the outcome is going to be? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. The AGLC has got a monopoly on uh, wholesale alcohol and cannabis in the province. Everybody has to, uh, if, in order to access the retail channel, the privatized retail channel in uh, the province, has to go through the AGLC warehouse. And uh, their, uh, their cease and desist are to those BC wineries who uh, may have that listing with the AGLC, but are also direct selling to um to consumers uh, direct delivery people like uh, mike uh, and mike uh, maybe may wrong but it sounds like he does not have a listing with the aglc so they're not they have no leverage on him right they have leverage on everybody else by saying if you don't stop direct delivering we're going to turn you back from the warehouse you can't sell ah. through the channel and so not not everybody sells to the channel the channel is the channel is a very robust channel. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of retail channels, but, you know, people like, and again, I want to speak for Mike, but there's a lot of small family-owned producers who just don't have the volume to really put their, uh, their product through the AGLC channel, right? And and we don't, we don't, we're, again, I think what part of the concern is, is like, is it really about uh, people like Mike and uh, other small producers, or is there a bigger story here? And and if it's tax, we've long said that uh, we're, we're more than willing to collect and redeem whatever tax there is. We just, that AGL system is too, uh, is too big, it's too crowded on the shelves for us, and we've got direct relationships with Albertans, people uh, love uh, BC wine have signed up for a wine club and and uh, why can we not continue this free trade uh, why throw up a trade barrier between two uh, provinces that got deep and long economic ties yeah it, it is a free trade issue and I know that this is one that Canadians have a hard time wrapping their minds around unfortunately for you guys in Alberta this week this story is going to see very little sunlight as you know because yeah. of other big distractions I'm grateful we're going to spend at least 10 minutes on it here to put it in front of people um, Mike I mean I'm, I'm happy to tell people that my wife and I love your wine and we've been more than happy to receive cases and cases of it over the years <laughs> and Mike this one's for free people can check out libraryestates.com <laughs> If they want to get their own wine shipped. Now, in this cease and desist order, though, um, the, the Alberta government, the AGLC is alleging that that people, th these violators, so to speak, are breaking provincial and federal regulations. Like it sounds like pretty serious business. Is it? I mean, is it illegal for you to be shipping a guy like me 24 bottles of wine without going through the AGLC warehouse? <laughs> That's the gray area. I guess we're going to find out about now. Uh, traditionally, it hasn't been an issue. Um, but I guess there's verbiage in there that could say it is an issue. Uh, so again, it's um, it's something that uh, we're going to be cautious about over the next little while anyway, just to see what could happen. Um, but it's never been a problem in the past, and I don't see it being a problem in the future. And and another thing I, I guess I want to point out is is the AGLC is, is hiding behind the shield that, that they're trying to protect their agents and they're trying to protect their private liquor store owners. It, it's actually my do the opposite because now you have wineries that that have strong retail channels through Alberta and with with limited supply the next couple of years because we've had some harsh winters now some of these wineries may have to make a, a decision to say well do I want to pursue that retail chain or that retail listing and, and if so then they're going to have to get rid of their agents and then those agents are going to have holes in their portfolios and and they're going to be you know not having enough wine to sell to pay their employees as well as liquor store owners won't have um, BC wine on the shelves because again 
you know, if, if, if some wineries are forced in this decision to, to have to maintain a retail listing through the AGLC, which typically is not as lucrative as going direct to consumer, then they may have to make some business changes. So, you know, hiding behind the shield of, of you know, we're trying to protect everybody, it might actually be the opposite. They're actually going to end up causing, you know, consumers to, to have to really search out to, to purchase wines now and go more to direct to consumer. Interesting comment here. Uh, you know, uh, James on our, our YouTube live chat says, Kel Surprise. Uh, is it Kel Surprise? Johnny, my friend. It is, is Kel Surprise. Kel Surprise. <laughs> what a surprise, says James. Uh, Alberta wants to stop being the land of free enterprise when it doesn't suit Alberta. The AGLC is crying because its monopoly doesn't suit them. I, I understand, Miles, if you know, Alberta's got this like burgeoning wine scene or like if, if all the, 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 you know, the vintners and all the winemakers in Alberta were outraged by this. But as much as I love this province, back its craft beer, love the bourbon we make here and nobody beats our beef. Any wine that I've tasted that's grown in Alberta, with apologies to the people that have worked on it, is not that great. Meantime, BC wine is the best in Canada, or at least it's right up there with Ontario's, and it's recognized around the best in the world. So what's really happening here, Miles? Do you think this is a political distraction? Do you think somebody from BC insulted somebody in Alberta? What, what do you think's really going on? Well, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough question. I mean, all we can do is go back and on precedent. And last time this happened, uh, it was about uh, Tidewater access for uh, Alberta oil and gas. I mean, that's what it was. They wanted a pipeline through, and uh, and I'd note that that pipeline is now through, if not completed. It's very near being completed. So, uh, and at that time, it was a it was a threat, and uh, cooler heads prevail, as they say, and. Uh, and they backed off. This time, you know, you ask about the legality and what rules are being break, broken. We can't find any rule. There is no rule that prevents that that penalizes someone from shipping to consumers into the province. Uh, there are rules that prevent consumers from receiving, uh, of course, because Alberta rules apply to Albertans. But uh, there is no rule. There's no federal rule. The feds got out of the way in 2019. They uh, they 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 recognized this was a provincial matter, and so they left it up to the provinces to decide. And so there is no federal rule. They talk about uh, proof. We've asked to see, or wineries have asked to see the proof. We haven't seen that. We asked for a, an opportunity to uh, you know appeal uh, any decision, but there is there, the decision is just you either signed a letter saying you w- will stop selling uh, direct to consumers or we will not allow you to list uh, with the AGLC. There's no, there's, there's no, there's nothing. There's, there's no administration. It's just that letter came out and it's got people confused and worried. And I think Mike speaks well to it is like, and they want to stay on side. I mean, we, we recognize it's liquor and there are rules and we want to, you know, work within the, the system. But when the system is arbitrarily set up and, and, and there's no backing to it, it's very hard to follow. So I would suggest, I can only suggest that there's something behind it. We don't know. We've asked our province to provincial uh, government to reach out to uh, Alberta and ask, you know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? I've reached out to the AGLC and said, listen, if it's tax that you want, we're more than willing to, you know, remit the tax that uh, that that's, that's owed. If that's the issue, um, we just want to be able to have great supporters of BC wine like yourself to continue to enjoy a uh, getting products like Mike's directly uh, shipped to you at uh, your door. So you go, we've got the market, we've got the product. Let's uh, do business. Yeah. And I, and I just like, I've got a lot of thoughts. I know that we have limited time here. I, I would just say uh, BC winemakers, 
I don't mean to rub it in, Mike, but but it's been a tough go for a lot of them. Uh, recent cold snaps obviously can do a lot of damage uh, to grapes and, and, and to those vines. Uh, my understanding is that the wildfires had a huge impact on a lot of wineries, which is just such a huge gut punch. And then you've just got the whole idea of, of Canada really being one of the only countries in the world. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Maybe you guys might know that has interprovincial trade barriers like this. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's a really weird look for the free enterprise, entrepreneurial strip, spirit driven province, Alberta, to be pulling this move when it doesn't. It, it, really, I mean, this is detrimental to Albertans as well. Like the whole thing about Alberta, we talked about it yesterday on the free market in the context of childcare. I won't drag you guys into that, but Albertans love choice. Albertans love as much choice as possible, and this hurts that as well. Uh, I want to give both of you a chance to say one final thing, something I may have missed before I thank you for your time, and this show moves on. Mike, you want to go first? Anything we haven't touched on or something you want this Western Canadian audience to hear? Um, I think, if anything, if, if, if um, you know – the more support we get from the people and, and whether it's going into liquor stores or, or just, you know, just talking to your, your representatives and just saying, you know, like this makes no sense. Why are we doing this? And why are we, you know, technically picking on an industry that is our neighbor. And a lot of Albertans live in this area and have opened wineries. So it's not like we don't have a personal connection to this. And um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard when you have to make some really, really tough business decisions and you have to, you know, possibly lose employees and you have to, you have to, um, you know, sever relationships that you have in that province because of such a silly, in my opinion, thing and, and a feeling that they're missing out on, on so much revenue through this uh, direct to consumer uh, model that we've been using for, for decades. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really frustrating. It's um, it, and it's, it, you know, if the wheel's not broken, why fix it? And to me, there's nothing broken here. Uh, we've always been transparent. We're, we're always, you know, open to talk and, and try to, you know, figure out what the true meaning or the true reason this is happening and, and try to fix it together. And, and that's kind of the way we've always been. And um, I just hope that cooler heads prevail like before. And, uh, you know, we're sitting about laughing about this in, in and, you know, in a couple of weeks or even a couple of days would even be better. Yeah, I'll be sitting and laughing about it as I crack open my next case of Liber Estates wine. Uh, <laughs> Miles, I'll tell you, anecdotally, this doesn't mean much, but anecdotally, there's full support for BC winemakers in, in our live chat here uh, and a lot of criticism for the AGLC. We'll give you last word, my man. I, I can't add much more. I mean, Mike speaks, uh, he's a producer, he's a farmer. Again, we're farmers first and foremost. And uh, Mike knows if you, we, we struggle to grow it. And uh, if we get what we can, we make great wine. And uh, I guess just thank you very much to all those uh, of our customers and supporters in Alberta. Continue to uh, to enjoy and we'll put up the, the, the good fight and make sure you're able to uh, get that wine shipped directly to your front door so you can uh, enjoy it as you do. Thank All right. You. Good stuff, guys. That's Miles Proden, who's president and CEO of Wine Growers BC. You can check out winebc.com for more on what they do. Uh, Mike Dell is a board member there, and he's also the owner of Liber Estates Winery. Mike, I got to tell a story in 30 seconds. You and I first connected about 10, well, six years ago. The wine band's in place. Premier Notley puts up that wall, and guys like you, originally born in Alberta, by the way, couldn't ship your wine back to your home province. You reached out to me at the radio station I was working at. You sent me an email. I'll never forget and you said if I can send my wine east they can run that pipeline right through my vineyard and I said <laughs> I better get this guy on the show that's Mike Dowell one of the funniest emails I've ever received thanks for doing this guys cheers
Yeah, Thanks, Ryan. you got it. Mike would probably want me to mention that there are no pipelines running through his vineyard uh, at this moment, but I thought that was pretty hilarious. Mike's got a really interesting story. You know, his family, Johnny, has a history in oil and gas. His wife's family has a history in lo- in logging. Okay. So these sort of like traditional Western Canadian industries, right? Industries that have, yeah. that have driven uh, economic activity across Canada for a long time, but they pursued a dream and they bought this vineyard like 10 years ago or whatever it is and started it up and, and it's just been sort of like challenge after challenge after challenge after that but pretty interesting he's an Alberta guy yeah born and raised that's now doing business in BC that's getting if I can say <laughs> cock blocked by his original province Alberta yeah. keeps screwing him over under different governments under NDP and now United Conservative yeah. governments bless him BC just a paradise for wine I love oh, dude I, I, I'm gonna say it I loved living in Kelowna and walking into I won't say it but just any grocery store on a Sunday you're picking up your veggies you're making a salad oh you're getting you know salmon whatever you're getting yeah let's pair it with a wine it's right in the next style and not only that there's like a is it a sommelier is that what yeah yeah sommelier right there so you don't even have to walk the aisles you just go to the front of the aisle and say hey i'm having salmon with you know a sea or whatever salad and they'll be like come over here i recommend yeah the 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 winery tours as well oh incredible just the best you got to go with like you know you got to go with like your pregnant friend Right, <laughs> so you got a designated driver all day. Okay, I was going to well, say, don't get, get your you can't get a, No, jeez, no, but you can't get like a limo. Limo costs too much. Oh yeah, because you got to be there all day. You yeah. got to go to like three of them. You yeah. got to go to like Liber, and then you want to go to like Burrowing mm-hmm. Owl, and of then course. you want to go to like Quail's Gate, and you yeah. want to go to like all these beautiful, you know. And uh, in so somewhere like, like Kelowna, they're all so close together. You can just Uber from one to the next to the next to the yeah. next. It's it's paradise. Hey, let yeah. me let me get on this uh, a conspiracy theory, David. I'm having fun with you. It's not that much of a conspiracy theory. David says, I think Ryan's making this like a low-key sponsored segment. Let me tell you, like I said, I am a customer of Mike's Wine because it's phenomenal. Uh, and it's great bang for buck. Like if you're like in like the $25, $30 a bottle range, it, it'll knock your socks off. Um, but it's absolutely not a sponsored segment. And you can trust that here on Real Talk, if it is a sponsored segment, we tell you. I'd never pull that bullshit. Now that said, we are having conversations with a big entity which we shall not name that may come on as a sponsor of the show which could mean that we'd be talking more about wine but here's the rub that sponsor if it happens does not carry Liber Estates wine and that's kind of part of the point here is that this is screwing the smaller producers uh, with our neighbors in British Columbia and I know a lot of you in BC will be listening to this that's your home province maybe you work in the wine business you can send us a note to talk at ryanjesperson.com now this is not the story that is leading the headlines politically across the country sometimes it's the job of a show like this to make sure those stories still get told and that's why we're talking about that but in just a second Obviously, we'll go to the big announcement made by Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith on Wednesday of this week. We told you it was coming. We hit in our Monday episode with Charles Adler pretty much every single point, pretty bang on in what the new policy looks like, except for the parental opt-in and and the ministerial approval for sex ed curriculum. Didn't see that one coming. That's one of the ones that's jumping out at me. Uh, There's a couple of things in this policy I think that most people uh, may have a problem with. There's some of the things in this policy I think most people are actually going to be okay with, whether they're saying it publicly or not, but we're going to get into it in just a second. First, I want to let you know that this episode is happening with the support 
of Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. This is a family-owned business where quality and customer service is unparalleled. It is priority number one. I mean, that could be the weekly delivery right to your door in Metro Calgary, Metro Edmonton, or Central Alberta. It could be the fact that they've got quality raw food prepared in human-grade facilities for both dogs and cats. It could be the fact that they've got a blog on their website, granddog.ca, that can help you better understand the benefits of feeding your pet a raw diet. It could be all the supplements that they've got on there as well. We've utilized those, not just the raw food for our two pups, Moses and Monroe, but also the supplements to help the Monroe with her anxiety, to help Moses with his joint pain. And there's a million other options. You can check them out today at granddog.ca. Don't forget the promo code REALTALK takes 10% off your first time order. Eden Landscaping wants to remind you that a landscaping project that kicks off in late spring or early summer happens because the planning is already complete, which means that this is a perfect time of year to reach out to them at landscapeedmonton.ca. They're experts in bringing outdoor spaces to life, a totally custom landscape builder with more than two decades of on-the-ground experience, including a lot of return business and referrals in the Metro Edmonton region. One of the things I love about the focus they have at Eden Landscaping, they're paying attention to trends with climate and weather. They're looking at drought conditions. Gosh, brace yourselves, Western Canadians, for what's about to happen this spring and summer. There's no snow in the mountains. There's going to be real drought problems in in the summer. That's going to impact landscape design, and it's all over Eden's radar. That experience is one of the many reasons we recommend Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. And if you're listening to this episode on the day that we're recording it, it's February 1st, which means that grocery purchases of $75 or more are 15% off at all 16 Friesen Brothers locations across the province of Alberta. 15% off your family's grocery bills. That's a big deal. You can check them out online. I'm showing you right now at Friesen.com. There's their website, great recipes, great ideas, the Family Essentials Flyer. I highly recommend you take a look before you go in and shop and make sure you pick up your family's favorite breakfast routine. I guarantee it on the weekends if you're not already integrating Friesen Brothers sourdough cinnamon buns. What are you even doing? Tell them Jespo sent you when you visit a Friesen Brothers. Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Alberta's premier releasing a video uh, midweek, Wednesday of this week, where she lays out the Alberta government's new policies. Now, some of it policy, some of it believed to be moving toward legislation, and there is a difference. But this is the Alberta government's new policy on trans students, uh, trans youth under the age of 18, all students under the age of 18, or let's say grade 12 and younger participating in sex ed and trans women of any age participating in sanctioned women's sport in the province of Alberta. These are different subjects. These are different conversations under one overarching theme. And we're going to endeavor to cover it with integrity, with empathy, with insight, and we're grateful that you're part of that conversation as well. We're going to bring you portions of what the premier had to say in her video, and then we'll get into them. She opens with, as you might expect, acknowledgement that this is a supercharged and emotional issue. I strongly believe that we as a society must support and reach out with kindness and inclusion to those who identify as transgender and work to eliminate the discrimination they often experience in their lives. As Premier of this province, I want every Albertan that identifies as transgender to know I care deeply about you and I accept you as you are. 
As long as I lead this province, I will ensure you are supported and your rights are protected. In the case of children age 17 and under who identify as transgender, I also want you to know that you are loved and supported as you work through your often changing emotions, feelings, and beliefs. As we all know, children and teenagers are in a constant state of biological, social, emotional, and sexual development and change. They're constantly learning about themselves, trying new things, dealing with biological changes, and trying to understand a wide range of new thoughts and feelings. It's a very complicated time. In my view, one of the greatest responsibilities we as parents, teachers, and community leaders have is to preserve for our children the right to grow and develop into mature adults so that they are better prepared to make the most impactful decisions affecting their lives. Decisions like choosing a career, a partner, raising children, their interaction with legal drugs like alcohol and cannabis, their sexual activities and preferences, and many other adult choices. It is my view that list of adult choices includes deciding whether or not to alter one's biological sex. Making permanent and irreversible decisions regarding one's biological sex while still a youth can severely limit that child's choices in the future. Prematurely encouraging or enabling children to alter their very biology or natural growth, no matter how well-intentioned and sincere, poses a risk to that child's future that I, as Premier, am not comfortable with permitting in our province. So she goes on from there and, and she lays out what this new policy will look like. And it's, it's much like what we talked about with Charles Adler just a few days ago. The Alberta government will be limiting uh, gender transition therapies uh, for young people under the age of 16. It will be unavailable. Uh, the government is lim- is banning, as a matter of fact, gender transition surgeries. Did I say I said therapies before? Right. Just to double check therapies, right? Drug therapies mm-hmm. like like hormone blockers, like puberty blockers, as they're known with a lot of people. So under the age of, of, of 16 uh, surgeries even with a parent's consent, will be banned in Alberta, both top transition surgeries and bottom transition surgeries. Now, I know a lot of you wrote into the show earlier this week and said that is absolutely not happening at all in Alberta. The government is acknowledging that they're going to make sure that that is not happening at all in Alberta. The fact is, is that some surgeries have been able to occur with parental consent. That is not the case anymore. The Alberta government has has also noted that it'll be establishing uh, more support systems, it says, to help young people, young trans people navigate uh, the, the early years of their awareness. Some of you may take issue with that and say some of these young kids know when they're five or six or seven. And that's what I'm noticing, at least early, uh, with the pushback that I'm seeing in this, the protest online and otherwise, is people saying that this is a truly harmful policy for young people that are already living in a body that just doesn't feel right to them. Danielle Smith says that the government of Alberta is going to be recruiting surgeons to uh, perform gender transition surgeries in the province of Alberta. She said one or two perhaps reflecting the number of surgeries, relatively relatively speaking, minimal number of surgeries compared to other physician or surgeon recruitment efforts I'm sure that they're undertaking. She took specific issue and made a point of noting that Albertans and other Canadians are currently traveling to Quebec to get those surgeries. So she says Alberta will be recruiting uh, surgeons to assist and perform those surgeries right here in the province of Alberta. 
Now, she notes that this will be controversial. She notes that this is something that not everyone will get behind. But as you heard in the clip, she says she is not comfortable with some of the things that are currently happening in Alberta. And that's why the government's taking action on this. I'm already seeing the in our live chat right now, a lot of you are saying Alberta basically has bigger problems. Alberta basically has bigger fish to fry. Why now? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we'll be talking about. It's something we're going to be asking our roundtable about uh, coming up on our February 2nd episode mm-hmm. of Real Talk. She then gets into the sex ed stuff. And, and here's where I know a lot of eyebrows are raising because you could argue that this really doesn't have anything to do with the issue that we just talked about or the issue we're about to talk about, which is trans women participating in women's sports. But here's a portion of what the premier says in her video. When it comes to classroom instruction on subject matter involving gender identity, sexual orientation, or human sexuality, we will be requiring parental notification and an opt-in requirement for each instance a teacher intends to give formal instruction on these subjects. Furthermore, all third-party resource materials or presentations related to gender identity, sexual orientation, or human sexuality in our K-12 school system will need to be pre-approved by the Ministry of Education to ensure the materials are age-appropriate. For a minor, age 15 and under, the government will require parental notification and consent for a school to alter the name or pronouns of a child. For 16 and 17-year-olds who choose to alter their name or pronouns, Parents do not need to give consent, but they must be notified. We know that nearly all parents, even those who may disagree with the decision of their children, will love and care for their children no matter what choices they make. However, in the handful of rare situations where one or both of the parents reject or become abusive to a child who identifies as transgender, we have child protection laws that will be strictly enforced. Now, this is something that we've seen in both New Brunswick and Saskatchewan already. Uh, Premier Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick was the first to say that parents need to be notified if a student under a certain age is going to change their name or their pronouns in school. Saskatchewan took it further. Premier Scott Moe saying he would invoke the notwithstanding clause. and, And here's Alberta doing the exact same thing. This is where I think you start to get into gray areas with a lot of people. And this is what we talked about with Charles Adler. Because this is oftentimes described as parents' rights or parental rights. This is what we talked about with Adler. This is what we've heard from you about. If, if you missed our January 30th episode, that was Tuesday of this week, I encourage you to check it out. We called that one children's rights. And we opened the show, not unprecedented, Johnny, but unusual for us to open the show with 30 minutes in a row of audience emails. But so many of you reached out to us and shared your thoughts on that. We wanted to make sure that those emails were front and center in this audience conversation. So this is where that's going. Parents must be notified. Now, between the ages of 16 and 18, here's where it gets interesting. The government says parents don't or the child, rather, the young person doesn't have to have parental consent to change their name or to change their gender identification in schools, but the parents still must be notified. Here's where you're getting into that gray area, too. Here's another gray area. You know, 17 years of age, 17 and a half, almost 18. In some circumstances, young people that don't feel like they're living in a supportive or loving home are getting ready to leave if they haven't already. We already know that uh, trans youth, LGBTQ2S plus youth are uh, grossly disproportion- disproportionately represented when it comes to uh, statistics of young people experiencing homelessness. And, and we know that from sources of people that work with those young people, those vulnerable young people firsthand. 
So that's an interesting one. And that's one that I know that a lot of people are taking issue with. And then there's the issue of participation of trans women in women's sport. And the premier says that that is quite frankly, just not going to happen on her watch. Our government also needs to deal with the emerging issue of the unfair disadvantages that young women and girls are experiencing when competing with biologically stronger transgender female athletes in sporting competitions. I strongly believe that those who were born male but have transitioned to or identify as female are owed the opportunity to meaningfully participate in sport. However, there are obvious biological realities that give transgender female athletes a massive competitive advantage over women and girls. It is not beneficial for those women, including those who are transgender, for this divisive and sometimes dangerous situation to continue. That is why the Alberta government will work with sporting organizations active in our province to ensure that women and girls have the choice to compete in a women's only division in athletic competitions and are not forced to compete against biologically stronger transgender female athletes. We will also work with those same sporting organizations to ensure transgender athletes are able to meaningfully participate in the sport of their choice through the expansion of co-ed or other gender neutral divisions for athletic competitions. This is, uh, like it or not, in my opinion, the least controversial of the policies. And this is where I think that some people will cry foul, uh, where they even hear that there's going to be any sort of legislation or any interference when it comes to the government into sport governing bodies in Alberta. But if you look at where the general population is at, if you look at some of the things that are happening in high school girls sports, if you look at women's sports right now and you look at the pushback that actual professional in some circumstances or elite athletes are participating in, some of the light that's being shone in some of these circumstances, some of the scenarios where trans women are absolutely dominating women's sports uh, when they were previously competing as men, not even coming close to the podium, you recognize that, again, like it or not, society is wrestling with this one in a big way. And the province of Alberta, as far as I can tell, is the first province to officially roll out policy on this. We don't believe that this will be legislation based on the information that we have right now, but policy nonetheless. And this is one that I think a lot of people will have something to say on. And if I had to forecast it, if I had to guess, based on the feedback that we get to this show, I believe that this is the policy that the fewest people will take issue with. Now, relatively speaking, that may mean that a lot of people still take issue with it and maybe I'm way off maybe you can prove me wrong and 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 send something into the show that is so compelling that you change my mind we'll obviously put this in front of our panelists tomorrow and see what they have to say so these are kind of the pillars of this new Alberta government policy you have the gender transition uh, regulations uh, you have the sex ed requirements which, which are the ones that probably I think I think the most number of people are going to be wondering about I'm sort of raising my eyebrows on that one I've got more to say on that in just a little bit and then you have the participation of trans women in sport now of course Johnny we'll put out these unofficial unscientific Twitter polls and again I want to reiterate that we don't know the sample here we don't know where people are checking in from but anecdotally sometimes it's it provides some interesting insight we've asked you this morning and you can find it on my Twitter account at Ryan Jesperson we say Alberta will limit gender trans 
transition therapies and surgeries for minors, require pre-approval for all curriculum taught in opt-in sex ed. Parents have to opt-in their kids for sex ed and ban trans women from competing in women's sporting divisions. We've asked how you feel about these policies. You've got about 950 votes with a lot of time left. We'll revisit the uh, final results during tomorrow's show. Um, 66% of respondents, pretty much two-thirds on the nose, say they don't support any of it. Uh, About 22%, let's say just over one in five, say that they support it all. About 8% of respondents say they support parts of it. And about 3% say they have questions uh, that just jumped up by about 50 votes there. Uh, Mike says in the area of female sports, there needs to be at the very least a look at the science of transgender athletes and any biological advantage that may exist with fairness in mind. He says the answers seem very complicated. And then Mike on my Twitter links to a BBC article on it. Uh, Kyle says a question for the parental rights folks. If a girl is removing her hijab at school, Should the school have to notify her parents? Wow, is that ever a great question? Chris says the laws regarding surgery are ridiculously redundant. Bottom surgery is already restricted to adults in Canada. And top surgery is a case-by-case situation for older teens with parental consent because top surgery and breast reduction, sometimes medically necessary, are treated the same. Brian says, I don't think biological males should compete in female sport if they've gone through puberty as a male, but the decision to ban puberty blockers for kids under 15 sets them up to have those physical advantages over other women, which is an excellent point as well. Greg says the announcement was appalling and a disgusting removal of trans children's rights to necessary health care. The opt-in for every single formal sex ed lesson is a naked attempt to make sex ed so difficult to teach that it just doesn't happen. That from Greg. Now, I do think that it's relevant as much as I hate to shine the light on this guy to point out that Take Back Alberta founder David Parker is already chiming in on this. Uh, A lot of people are saying this is a nod from this provincial government, from the premier's office, directly to this guy and directly to this far right wing organization. These social, I mean, it doesn't even say social conservatives. My great uncle Ralph was a, was a so cred, a social credit uh, MLA back in the day. And people used to talk about social conservatism around, well, we're not quite a hundred percent sure about this or that legalizing cannabis, gay marriage, a little skittish about that kind of stuff. Parker and his crew are taking it to a whole new level. So it almost feels insufficient to call them social conservatives with apologies to those of you who would identify identify as such. But here's what David Parker tweeted from his account uh, just a short time ago. Parker says, teachers of Alberta, you no longer have permission to indoctrinate our children into your ideology. You are legally required to inform parents before teaching their children so-called queer ideology. If you do not inform parents, we will know, says the big tough talker, David Parker, which I know is obviously getting under a lot of people's skin. He's promised that he will find these people. Does anything in particular, Johnny, I know that when this video came out yesterday, you were watching it. You had a chance to take a look at it. Is there anything that jumped out at you as particularly outrageous or one that you kind of go, oh, I can kind of see why they're doing that? Where, where is, Where's it landing with you? Well, I mean, I can see... Uh... I was particularly surprised how she started the video. It was, it was very, like, you know, concerned about the well-being of everyone who's in the LGBTQ plus community and trans community. Uh, but I think I agree that that tweet that you said about the puberty blockers, it, it really rang true for me because I, I think back to when I knew I liked girls. It wasn't when I was going through puberty at 13, 14, 15. I knew when I was like 8, 9, 10 years old that I liked girls. So it's it's strange to me 
to to ban those puberty blockers for kids under 15 because I don't think they're making those decisions without their parents anyways. But I think at that time, you know who you are. You're starting to know who you want to be, who you may, you know, end up being, who you like, who you don't like, who you, you know, what your sexual orientation is. So, yeah, I thought that was a really great tweet tweet uh, that you read there. So, but overall from the video, I feel like there were, and I know you're, you think this too, there were some dog whistles in there yep. where I was like, man, this is, this is talking directly to her base and the people under that base who, uh, I'll just say it, are kind of in the mud. People yeah. like David Parker. You yeah. Know? I, you know what I thought? Like, uh, and, and who knows where this poll will go? Uh, and, and again, we're leaving it up for, for 24 hours. But, but I think like, you know, if, if you were to simply, if the Alberta government was to simply roll out policy on trans women competing in women's sports, mm-hmm. uh, then I think that that would be one thing. If the Alberta government were to roll out specific policy about sex ed, I mean, like, let's talk for a second about the fact that now any third party group, like, let's say, uh, you know, we've spoken to Mary Jane James on this. I'm picking her kind of out of thin air as an example, um, you know, uh, uh, with SACE, the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. If they're going to cooperate with and, and uh, you know, school divisions and participate in sex ed, mm-hmm. um, make presentations to those schools, every single bit of that curriculum needs to receive ministerial approval. In, yeah. in other words, every single bit of curriculum needs to go through the education minister's office before it can be taught in schools. That to me makes me nervous depending on who the education minister is. It also seems like unnecessary uh, extra overload uh, for the minister's office for a government that's promised to reduce red tape. Uh, And I'm also curious about the opt in element of sex ed teaching mm-hmm. and we're talking K to 12 and there's not a lot of people are going to be getting these crazy ideas that children in, in kindergarten are being taught about, you know, oral sex and glory holes and all the stuff that you see online. That is absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do know that it is incredibly important for young people as an example, here's something just as a parent of young kids and, and we read, we try to be the best parents we can. We yeah. read all the stuff and listen to all the stuff and, and, and look at best practices. They say that a, a young person, like a child or a young person is, 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 is the statistics show that they are dramatically less likely uh, to be in a position uh, where they are susceptible or vulnerable to sexual assault if they understand things like the real names of our body parts. Sure. If they understand the basic premise of consent, Mm -hmm. which could be, do you have consent to borrow that pencil crayon? Do you have consent, uh, you know, to to, to play with that person's toy on the ground? Have you asked them for that? Do you have consent to sit in your buddy's lap? Do you have consent to pull your buddy to sit on your lap? Like all the little things, right? Where you sort of like lay that foundation Mm -hmm. for these kids later in life as young adults to better understand the other principles of consent. And we're seeing a pretty ugly example involving some pretty high profile millionaire athletes right now mm-hmm. that clearly have no understanding of consent and we see where that can go so i don't know about that i i, I personally am rattled by the opt-in element of yeah. this i suspect that most parents will um i saw one person in our live chat which by the way as you alluded to is just is banging today obviously we always want people to keep it decent and respectful in the live chat Uh, but some people are saying they'll be keeping an eye out in schools you know teachers and otherwise for the opt-out list to ensure that those kids are receiving the supports that they may need it is a way for parents to be waving a flag and not in a good way and everything you're talking about that's it's so important to teach consent and sex ed and i don't like this whole approval thing by the ministry now because we know what that means ryan it means that straight 
and and hetero, you know, teachings are probably going to go through and be approved more than the queer ones, right? So yeah, the the, the sex ed thing uh, to me, I, I just think I think that's a tough look. It's a bit of a luddite look for Alberta. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, and, and then of course you have you know the the stuff about kids pronouns yeah you have the conversation which has been a quite frankly a national conversation because of new brunswick and saskatchewan before alberta but this is one where i think that the average person uh, someone like me or you that that has not walked miles in the shoes of young people that in in some circumstances feel like their life is not safe Mm -hmm. they don't feel safe at home they don't feel safe potentially in their peer group, although that seems to be less the case. People oftentimes say that young people, kids these days are supportive. They get it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's the adults that are kind of screwing this up. And that's probably a big reason why the premier opened that video with like the acoustic guitar beneath there and all that. I mean, they, they, very... you know, the video is very like, let me say, well produced. Mm-hmm. I know someone's going to scream at me for saying that, but it is. It's well produced. It's an effective video. But she, that's probably why she starts and ends. You'd call that bookending in editing. It's bookended uh, with a specific note from Alberta's premier speaking to trans youth saying, we care about you. Mm-hmm. We value you. She specifically says we value you as you are. But I know with the critics of this policy, that's not going very far. People no. say that they're seeing right through that. And, and she says all that, but then she says, you know, basically we're going to rat you out. And I think that one of the scary things is like we, we think of, you know, the parental unit at home is always a mom and dad. But it's not nowadays. It's a dad and a dad. It could be a guardian. It could be an uncle, an aunt, a grandmother, somebody who maybe the child doesn't really identify or feel that comfortable with telling them these things. And now they're going to immediately know. And that's just, it's a little scary for me. I feel like when you're 15, you should be able, and under, I I, I don't know. I feel like you should be able to have the right to, to, to know or to choose if you want to tell them or not. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeremy Farkas, former uh, Calgary city councilor, former candidate for mayor down there is watching right now. I appreciate seeing him in our live chat. He says, I'm not one uh, to let political debate really piss me off. He says, but I tossed and turned all night. He says, this does feel like a real gut punch. Um, you, you know, I mean, obviously we don't have time to read all these comments, but this, this, this comment section is just going absolutely wild. Um, you know, Bruce says children have the internet to do their own research. I, I don't think that that's a wise position, no. respectfully, Bruce, internet to simply that. direct kids to the internet for their sex ed. Number one, they're going to go to Pornhub. And if that's their understanding of what healthy sexual relationships look like, then we've got bigger problems. Uh, Ken says, here's what's going to follow. There will be even more funding for charter schools with public funding, even more lowering of per child funding to public education. Ken says, be very careful of creating a two tier education system. Uh, Tracy says, how can people complain about the government overstepping with things like mask mandates, but they're totally okay with this amount of governmental interference? Mm -hmm. You know, you'll see a lot of people online saying this is really interesting from the my body, my choice crowd. Really interesting. But this isn't the first time that there's been contradiction there. Right. My body, my choice has typically been uh, the anthem or one of the anthems from the pro-choice crowd, from from those advocates for women's health that believe that people should be able to make their own individual health decisions. That's what I think when I hear it. But you look at the typical person. I understand I'm going to paint with a huge broad brush here, and that's all that's oftentimes not fair. But generally speaking, if you looked at the people that would protest things like mask mandates or vaccine mandates, right? They're typically, typically, and call me to the carpet if you disagree, pro-lifers. Like, 
generally speaking, think of the people in your life, right, that were like, no masks, COVID isn't real, vaccines are cooked up in a lab by China with microchips, and they've got all the conspiracy theories. And then ask yourself, as far as you know, where does that person land on a woman's right to choose? And you will find how hilarious, and not in a funny way, but how still hilarious it was that the anti-mask, anti-vax crowd was chanting my body, my choice through COVID when that same anthem would have made their skin crawl, would have made their blood boil if they would have seen it at a woman's health rally any time in the previous 50 years. Uh, and, and I think that that's a fact. So if you do believe, and if you are out there with the placards and the signs demanding my body, my choice on vaccines and masks, why would you not feel the same about young people's access to healthcare services? Mm-hmm. I do think it's a fair question. I think it's a question that should be asked. Another thing I was thinking is like a lot of parents, they're not professionals in these areas. When you're talking about kids choosing their sexual orientation, not choosing, that's not the word I should use, but you know what I mean when they're coming into their own, like I, uh, Jeremy had a good comment here. Like they should be talking to guidance counselors. They should be talking to, you know, people who can counsel them, other people close to their age, big brothers, big sisters, whatever, before and getting some advice maybe on how to talk to their parents about it if they have parents at home who are going to come out and start policing them because we know there are those parents who are going to try and sway them one way or the other instead of letting them grow into their own. So it, it, it just it's 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 a lot of scary stuff in here. And I like how you brought up the guitar because I immediately thought that when the video started and the guitars in the background, she's kind she was kind of setting the stage for be like being like this is going to be a very empathetic, sympathetic conversation. But then she got right into some stuff after that where I was like. Ugh. This is this is this is some dog whistle stuff right to the base. So I, I encourage people to go watch the entire video because we just showed portions of it because uh, it the other thing is very, very well. And I won't say well, I guess that's not the right word, but very well produced, like the images they used and stuff. I, I would have opted out for that if I was working with her team and just had her talking to the screen. But some of the images that like the female swimmer and stuff like this kind of kind of trying to nail home the point that this is the person who's going to be you know, who's going to miss out on a gold medal or whatever. That is happening. Else is, that is happening. You know? and, yeah. and that's where like, I'll, I'll stick my neck out and say, I do think that society needs to have a bigger conversation about trans women participation in sports. Sure. Um, and I understand that some people, I think it was Lorraine. I saw somebody in here being like, seriously, Ryan, like Lorraine says, yeah, seriously, Ryan, I'm sure trans women go through all of this just to, just so they can win in sports. Uh, she says, that's ridiculous. Uh, she says, Michael Phelps has bigger lungs than most men. Should he not be allowed to compete? I mean, I, I think that that's a red herring. Michael Phelps lungs. Um, you could you could probably say that Usain Bolt probably has something in his makeup that allowed him to dominate the world's best uh, sprinters now for ten years. And, no, I mean you know what I mean. Area, like, yeah. but but you know what? Like Michael Phelps is in the same ballpark testosterone wise as his fellow competitors. I am not an expert in this. I'm not going to get into things like you know measuring estrogen and testosterone levels and where that should be. But if you look at the world's uh, arguably biggest sports governing body, the Olympic Games, the IOC, which is like a scandalous and corrupt and rotten organization, obviously. But the IOC has had to wrestle with this. And what the IOC has landed on, at least to this point, is is like chemical makeup, uh, because that's the only way I think that it makes sense. And my understanding of it, and, and again, we're just at the outset of these conversations. We're going to cover this a lot. 
Uh, we're going to talk about this a lot on all different angles. Um, and, and I would imagine that the, the majority of this audience is going to learn something about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are seeing examples. Uh, just a short time ago, like in March of 2022, for example, Leah Thomas uh, became the first known transgender woman to win the NCAA swimming title, mm-hmm. uh, a University of Pennsylvania senior. And at that race, uh, at, at, the, the, uh, at that race, that college race, the NCAA race, uh, the stands were full of protesters. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's actually, it is... Uh, a divisive issue. If you take the, you know, the the, the sort of like extreme examples out, I can think of some some demonstrations in Red Deer that were pretty disgusting of groups of adults showing up outside schools and protesting silly things. If you, if you take those sort of one off scenarios out of that, there's not been like mass protest or big society wide questions or a huge issue around stuff like sex ed curriculum. There, there just hasn't. Depending on the circles you run in, maybe it's been all over your radar, but it's more of a niche concern, you might call it. I think if you have honest conversations with big groups of people, whether it's at your barbecues or your family reunions or, or, or when your buddies are out on the golf course or when the girls are getting together to watch your favorite show, like whatever the social scenario, if you bring up trans women participation in sport, it's not the same thing. Most people, at least in my uh, experience, most people will go, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. It's not a cut or dry. It's do you, true. If, if you ask most people, do you believe that gay and lesbian people should be able to get married? Yeah. In my experience, 99% of people will say, absolutely, why wouldn't they be? Mm-hmm. But if you ask, do you think that trans women should be able to participate in women's sports? It's not the same. It's it's not. But I, it's in this video, it, when I heard it, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I feel like this should be left to sporting governing bodies, that kind of stuff. Like when we were talking about kids and parental rights in this video, Ryan, and I feel like she threw this in as an extra slam dunk. And for me, it just rubs me the wrong way when you say, like, you know, if you're going to be trans, you can't, you know, go into a bathroom specific bathroom you can't compete in sports you can't do this you can't do that you can't do that and that's where it rubs me the wrong way but i agree there needs to be lots more talk on this but i don't know if at the provincial level we should be deciding i feel like what you said like there needs to be talk in all the bodies of sport on on whether they should do that and they should make the regulations so yeah um first of all it's a great point johnny yeah. and and there are people making uh, points in the chat here as well like i appreciate you saying i don't know if this should be the provincial government i think that should be more up to the sports governing bodies some of them are taking this more seriously than others in the sense that to to, to some sport governing bodies this is a bigger issue mm-hmm. right um and so you know uh we've, we've got people talking about you know um you know, Ken says, ask yourself where this goes in terms of age and the conditions of somebody being, quote unquote, inspected for participation in sport. How will this work in an amateur setting? Why are we conflating pro and minor amateur sports? Uh, I mean, you remember that story out of British Columbia. This was kind of a gut punch for everybody. I think this summer, uh, you remember that girl, uh, nine years old, uh, her family, the star family at a Kelowna track meet. Uh, You know, there was a there was kind of a, a bad actor at the track meet. We're talking about a nine-year-old girl here that was demanding to see the birth certificate he wanted to see proof that this this young girl uh was born a girl and and she was participating in sport for nine-year-olds i mean i think that's something that story made national news um i believe we talked about on the show but not at length so so that's an example there as well of, of where this goes wrong um and 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 i see elias on here as well that's demanding that i stop giving the sports 
uh, he says, stop giving airtime to the sports question. It's a dog whistle. I mean, I understand that some people conveniently want us to just like ignore and exclude commentary on, on some pretty major stuff that's happening, and we won't. And I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, too. Uh, like I said, putting our necks out here and saying what we really think isn't always easy. Sometimes people we love and care about will be pissed off at us for what we're saying. Some people will demand that that we open our minds and open our hearts because we don't understand this. There's risks that you take by participating in conversations like this. But Elias, this isn't the type of show that ignores it. It's happening. Mm -hmm. This is going to impact athletes. It's already impacting some athletes. It's not happening everywhere. You know, I play, uh, you know, beer league basketball once a week. I don't see a lot of trans athletes uh, participating. um, And that's not a big deal if they do. And there's co-ed leagues and this, that, and the other. But for the average athlete, this is really not something on their radar until it is. And when it is on their radar, then all of a sudden it prompts a big conversation. And I think it's actually a good thing. I don't think necessarily all this is good. And I know that the majority of Albertans, I mean, if we check in back on our poll, let's see how this is going as we're talking here. It's now at you know, 1,260 votes. 65, it's dropped a percentage point, but it's, it's holding true. For the most part, 65% say they don't support any of this policy. So that's interesting because that would include the sports stuff. Uh, 24% say they support it all, one in five, or one in four rather. So it, it goes on and we'll see. But we don't oftentimes have these conversations until something prompts them and in this case it's the alberta government rolling out this policy but what you just said right there i feel like with with this announcements and the policies that adding that in is a way to draw someone who may not fully agree with you know the pronouns and the ages and the parental rights stuff but they may kind of see your point with the sporting stuff how it may be unfair and that's a way to draw them in to agree with the other stuff so i feel like i feel like one of these things is not like the other that's what i was thinking when she when she started talking about this i'm like this has nothing to do with kids or parental rights but she kind of drew a line there to kind of stop it almost stop it from happening if we don't allow these kids to have puberty blockers then sports will be more fair that's what i heard in my head yeah basically yeah I, I am saying i want to note something if i haven't said it enough i think i've said it many many times already but february 2nd which is friday our real talk roundtable will be a panel discussion on this i'm seeing a lot of people saying you're uncomfortable having this conversation without a trans person on the panel there's no panel this is a talk show uh myself and my producer are talking about this in front of an audience which is what you do and obviously Obviously, we will be having these conversations with people with lived experience. 100%. I'll let you know one of our panelists that will be joining us tomorrow is Hannah Hodson. Uh, You may recognize the name. Hannah uh, describes herself as a recovering political staffer. She was a Conservative Party of Canada candidate. She's a trans woman, and she tore up her membership to that political party when Pierre Polyev started talking about issues impacting uh, trans young people and trans adults. So Hannah is one of the panelists that will be joining us tomorrow and I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. If you want to get ahead of this, if you've got a, a thought you'd like to share, if there's an issue or a point that you did not hear made on this show, if when we're talking about lived experience, we're talking about you, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at talk at ryanjesperson.com or you can hit us up on any of our social media channels. You'll find us at Real Talk RJ uh, on Twitter, on TikTok and on Instagram. In just a second, I want to get to a couple of emails. Uh, we've been talking about these rolling childcare closures. Is your family one of the thousands? 
that is trying to find alternative arrangements that's basically scrambling to figure out childcare so you can go back to work because your daycare is voluntarily closing to get the attention of the provincial and federal governments. Heidi and Colton both wrote into the show after our conversation yesterday with Crystal uh, Churcher, Crystal with the Alberta Association of Childcare Entrepreneurs. They're the ones that have been uh, basically spearheading these rolling closures, and she told us why they're doing it. Uh, Surprise, surprise, not everybody agrees with that. And so we're going to get to those emails in just a quick second. Then uh, a new episode of The Discourse is out today uh, with Erica Barutis and Cheryl Oates. Uh, We're going to unveil, if you haven't already seen it, who their guest is, a very high-profile Canadian. Some of you are really not going to like this in a must-watch episode of The Discourse. That's coming up. First, I want to let you know that this conversation is happening with the support of Real Talk partners like California Closets, who wants to remind you... That if you want to make good on your promise to yourself, to your spouse, to your kids, to your family, that you're going to declutter and get organized, this is a perfect day to take two seconds and check out californiaclosets.ca. Nobody does design and installation better than California Closets. That is simply a fact. And the consultation is without charge. You can sit down with their experts, talk to them about your home office, your laundry room, your storage room, your garage, your walk-in closet you've always dreamed of, and they'll give you ideas you never would have thought of. And it's going to be more affordable than you think. It all starts with a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration are reminding you if you're one of those Albertans in particular that is navigating the repairs after burst pipes through that cold snap, they are experts, have been for more than 25 years in water damage restoration. Timely and effective action here is critical. And Complete Care Restoration specializes in comprehensive services designed to repair that damage quickly and efficiently. Remember, if disaster strikes at your home or business, their emergency response team is on call 24-7. Keep in mind, you can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. So we're talking to Crystal Churcher yesterday. She's the chair of the Alberta Association of Childcare Entrepreneurs, and we ask her a pretty straightforward question. If the daycares still can operate, why on earth implement these rolling closures that are inconveniencing an estimated 35,000 Alberta families? I mean, who are you trying to point the finger at? Whose attention are you trying to get? And here's what she told us. Whose fault is this? Or let me say, whose problem is this to fix? Unfortunately, it's going to be parents and families problem at the end of the day, right? This all comes down on to operators and families to navigate what's left of our childcare system at the end of this rollout, um, which is why we felt it's so important to continue these conversations and to raise the issues. I think that, you know, there's issues, there's fault on, on all levels. Um, you know, we have essentially a government takeover of our childcare sector across Canada. And they have rolled out a $10 a day program without really understanding, I think, the true costs of childcare and understanding that each province has its own style of childcare, its own, you know, sector is made up of different types of operators and different stakeholders. It's different in each province. So to roll out a one size fits all childcare system across the country is just not a feasible option. We're also looking at, you know, provincial government who has, again, not done proper consultation with operators. They're not engaging 
on the ground childcare operators in a way that they can learn how the sector works and learn what you know they can do to create these systems that actually work on the ground. I think these ideas of $10 a day childcare sound amazing, but I always am questioning where did that number come from? What can you actually buy for $10 a day? That was uh, Crystal Churcher. You can find that full episode. It's our January 31st episode. It prompted Heidi to reach out. She said, I wanted to quickly respond to the guest. She says, but given this grotesque bombshell that was just dropped by the UCP, she's talking about what we've just talked about for half an hour. She says, I'm not sure if this is even going to be on anyone's radar anymore. It is, Heidi, and we're going to keep it there. Um, you know, keep in mind, by the way, a lot of times, a lot of this other stuff as well, it, it's smoke screens. Like when governments drop big stuff like Daniel Smith did yesterday, you got to ask what's not being discussed, what's not being talked about about like we could have dropped our wine story out of the gates today but we didn't for good reason that we'll spend the majority of our time talking about what the majority of people are talking about but Heidi have no fear we're still going to talk about $10 a day child care she says I advocated for affordable quality early learning and child care I wanted lower fees for parents especially low income and I agree with the sliding scale for the subsidy better compensation for educators and quality regulated spaces for kids. I did not advocate for childcare entrepreneurs. She says, and I would kill to see their financial statements. Maybe there are legitimate financial issues with, with running an early learning child care center under this agreement, but it doesn't carry much weight when the argument's being made by an organization that wants the federal funding agreement dismantled to be replaced with tax credits. That's essentially what they're saying with uh, their objectives. Point G, she says, if you want to check them out, promoting parental choice for licensed child care in Alberta. Heidi says there's still work to do in properly valuing educators. No kidding. Many of them are making minimum wage. It's preposterous. She says, and building a robust early childhood education system. And I hope that these rolling closures aren't a catalyst for destroying the progress that's been made. That from Heidi, we appreciate it. And this from Colton. Colton says, long time, first time, long time listener, first time emailer. He says, I wanted to chime in on that childcare conversation from a family that can't access it. He says, I've got two kids, age two and four. When my wife and I decided we were going to have a second child, the original plan was that she'd stay home from work and raise the kids. She was working as an office admin. We were looking at a daycare bill of like a thousand bucks a month. Uh, easily, right, Colton? Easily. He says, so it didn't really make a lot of financial sense. We wouldn't have been much further ahead. But the introduction of the childcare deal changed the math on that, but it didn't really change our decision. We were still able to make the household finances work on one income. We were just coming out of COVID and the like. He goes, not a, lot, a lot of people have been doing that, I know. He says, the math is further changed though over the last year or so with the cost of living pressures we've had the discussion on it being time to look at childcare so we can add a second income into the mix but we're looking at a six-month wait list or longer to get into a place in our smaller center colton's writing in from beautiful wainwright alberta my great-grandfather used to own and operate the wainwright hotel shout out to wainwright says so now we're in a situation where we can't access the subsidy well higher income families all around us get it because they were already in the system Colton says, in my opinion, the system was poorly set up from the outset. I think the Canada child care benefit is the much superior model, and the daycare money would be better spent as an increase to that program. Families should receive child care support, not based on the method they choose, be it public, nonprofit, private, babysitter, extended family, or a stay-at-home parent, but rather based on income. 
I think the system could be much more progressive in that regard. And I completely agree with you, Ryan, that some families should receive a subsidy such that childcare is basically free with money on top for other families' needs. And then on the other end, a lower income cutoff for any support. To the example used on the show today, says Colton, I don't see the public policy benefit for subsidizing a dual income family making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. He says, that's just my two cents. Thanks for putting on a great show. That from Colton. We appreciate you chiming in. A reminder that we do give you a chance to sound off uh, in one of our most popular five minutes of every week. It is released on Saturdays as a separate podcast, and you can find it separately posted on our YouTube channel as well. And of course, that is The Flamethrower, presented by our friends of the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you've got something, and I almost say this tongue-in-cheek because I know a lot of you have a lot to say right now. you got fire in your belly, and I'm not trying to take it lightly. You know where to find us. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you put flamethrower in the subject line and we'll consider it for tomorrow's edition, which I'm sure is going to be a banger. Before we close, it is Thursday, which means Erica Brudis and Cheryl Oates, you know, former senior staffers for conservative and NDP premiers, have released another episode of The Discourse. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And they've got a feature guest this week. He who shared a stage with Tucker Carlson down in Calgary, the loudest multimillionaire in Canada for sure, and arguably Justin Trudeau's biggest critic, W. Brett Wilson. I was outside after the event, by the way, and one of the news reporters was challenging me on why we would have um, an American come to Calgary to lecture us on how we should you know, run our politics. And I responded with, well, was it okay that Obama and George Bush came and lectured us on, on life and, and, and politics? And they said, oh, no, it was okay that they came because they were presidents. But Tucker, he's just a news reporter. And I kind of laughed at this woman and said, you've got to be kidding. This is your job. And they edited all of that out, of course. But, uh, no, the big picture was was to have some fun and that's that's my approach and if you, well erica you were there you know i enjoyed every minute of being on stage with those two and that's the real reason i ended up um involved was um was the fun factor i'm all for fun i'm all for satire of political commentary um i wasn't in attendance at this particular event so let me just start there but i have watched some of the clips and i have watched and read about previous commentary that tucker carlson has made and i think there are probably a lot of people who attended that event who feel just like you who thought it was a bit of good fun that played into some of the things that they're frustrated with but i think there was probably a number of people at that event who take what tucker carlson says far more seriously and are looking for a place to put their frustration and and uh, are looking for a different way to categorize some of the things that are going on in Canada. And he's giving them that liberty. And I saw tons of clips where people walked away from the event saying, I like this guy because he speaks truth. He gives us the facts. But his his show, his presentation isn't about facts. You're right. It's about it's about putting on a show. And I, I worry that so many people came away from that commentary with a much different experience than what you're talking about. So that's Cheryl Oates, uh, W. Brett Wilson, of course, Erica Broody is part of that conversation as well. We encourage you to check out, watch, or listen to The Discourse wherever you find it, uh, your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube, and let us know, let those two know 
what you think. I will close with this comment from James, who says, yeah, that's right. we do need to focus on what's not being discussed right now in politics. What about water shortages? What about forest fires? What about power outages that are coming this summer? You're bang on, James. If you missed it, I want to remind you this week, earlier this week, we sat down with, as a matter of fact, it was yesterday, January 31st, Edmonton City Manager Andre Corbold. And while the majority of our conversation was about the shooting at City Hall, the recovery, the resources being made available to staff, the physical repairs, when the public space will reopen, what the security will look like when it does, we did talk to the city manager about that EPCOR water plant failure, which was an interesting one. If that's flying under your radar, make sure you check it out. It's on our radar that fire chiefs across the province are demanding a meeting with the Alberta government to shine light on what the government's wildfire strategy is, what the plan is this summer. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, Johnny, but it makes me nervous when fire chiefs at the end of January are already demanding conversations about wildfire season. The first thing I thought of when I was like, we're having water Problems in in January. Dude. What's June, July, August going to be? Like? And you look at people that work in in the business of wildfire suppression, and all of them are nervous right now. So you make a very good point there. And then, of course, the third one. He says, "And what about power outages coming this summer as well?" Uh, we had a lot of conversation about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Coming out of that cold snap on Real Talk. Uh, of course, we'll fire up those conversations again. We're always keeping an eye on news as it develops. But sometimes there's something flying under our radar. And you know where to find us. We sure appreciate it. Thank you for being a part of this conversation today. Thanks to those of you that stick your neck out, that say what you think, regardless of whether or not it's going to be popular. If it's not an easy conversation, chances are it may be an important one. Do not miss our Real Talk Roundtable coming up tomorrow. We're going to talk to a physician in gender-affirming health care, a recovering trans political staffer, and the president of the Alberta Teachers Association. You're going to want to catch it. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, account coordinator Lawrence Durlego, human resources Lena Shepard, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.